Advent is historically in the church when we wait for the coming of Jesus. So I want to say this. If you're here for the first time, we're really, really glad that you've come to spend this Sunday night with us. There'll be a chance for you to fill out a Connect card uh, in the lobby. Um, but I just want to say you've come at a really cool time because uh, the Christmas season's when a lot of people check out the Jesus story. And it's when a lot of people check out of the Jesus story. It's when people that have walked in the faith for a long time go, I've heard this story before, the coming of Jesus. I've heard it before. And I would encourage you, whether you're checking it out or you've checked out, that you actually pause and say, what would it mean if I believed that Jesus was arriving? What would that mean? Sometimes you've got to put yourself in the, um, in the shoes of the ancient Near Eastern people who are waiting, 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 and the 400 years of silence was broken by a little baby. Well, that's what we're talking about. And so, um, not, I mean, silence is always broken by a baby, if you've had kids, but 400 years, it was a louder noise than normal. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue in this series. And we are talking about the arrival of Jesus. We're going through the passages in Isaiah, four prophetic passages that we would say, what does it, what, what, what was said about Jesus, about what he would do, and every one of those passages is pointing to what he still will do, by the way. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait on you. You, God, are the most on-time, late person I know, and, uh, you always come through. We invite your Holy Spirit here. Come, Lord Jesus, and do what only you can do, and I pray if there's anything that you and I have talked about that shouldn't be said tonight, that uh, I wouldn't say it. Give us the ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to turn. I just pray you change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you do me a favor? Will you, in, in the spirit of Advent season, will you close your eyes for a second? Just take a deep breath. Close your eyes because you've been real busy. It's been a hard weekend for some people. Just close your eyes. What is it that you want Jesus to arrive into? What is it? What is the thing you want him to break into? What's the thing you want him to restore? Just think about that for a second. What is Jesus, uh, what, what, would he, what would you ask him to do? There's a story, as you keep your eyes closed, there's a story where he says, what is it that you would want me to do? What is it? In your heart, ask him that. Jesus, would you arrive on the scene in this thing? Okay? All right. We're going to keep doing that every week because we're going to wait on Jesus. We're going to anticipate. Not We don't want just knowledge. Like we said last week, you, you don't need more information. Um, we need to put things into, like, into our lives. So here's what I need. I need a volunteer like one per, this is like the scary, if you're an introvert, do not raise your hand, okay? Um, or be bold, 
you know, Jesus is on the scene. Matthew, sweet, come on up here, Matthew. All right. Um, Matthew, can you... Yeah, come on on the stage, man. It's, it's a cool place. All right, hold this, hold this. Uh, I've never been, like, repelling. Are you holding it? Are you holding it tight? Okay, I've never, like, repelled, you know, like a lot of you... You Coloradians do some crazy stuff, okay? But I'm, I've never been. I talk to people who've gone. If I took this yarn and I had all the hope in the world, I'm going like, you holding this tight? That's not tight. Come on. Come on. Okay, let's try again. If I had all the hope in the world um, and I'm going, oh, see what happens? See, every time, if I had all the hope in the world and I'm going, I, I'm going to repel, I hope, that this actually holds up, okay? So if I go with one of you crazy cats and we go like on the side of the mountain and you go, okay, all you guys yarn, let's go. And I go, okay, and I tie it up and whatever you do. And then I jump down and I repel. My, the amount of hope I have actually doesn't matter. You hear me? The amount of hope I have, because if I, if I go, that's my death, okay? This is me falling to my death that's me falling to my death right now. Okay, that's all. Thanks. Thanks for killing me. Thanks, Matthew. Okay, so if I, good job, Matthew. Um, you can give him a round of applause. Uh, if I, what, what I'm trying to show you is your, the amount of hope you have, hear me, actually is not that relevant um, in this situation. The amount of hope that you have. The amount of hope. What is way more impactful is the object that you place your hope in, okay? The, the, the problem with what was happening there is the yarn. Like, the problem is the object of my hope is the yarn, and the yarn doesn't hold me. And I, I think sometimes we go into this, and we go, I have such high hopes for, and we have all different types of things, all different yarns in our lives, if you will, but like the, the, the reality is, is if the thing itself that you put your hope in can't hold you, it's as good as repelling with yarn. You're not, it's, it's, it will not withstand your hope, and it will greatly disappoint you. Having hope is not nearly as important as what you put your hope in. So this is what I'm going to put on the screen that I hope we remember, and then it's going to, we're going to revolve around this for the rest of the night, okay? The object of your hope matters more than the amount of hope that you have the object of your hope. And my prayer um, for myself, I'll be the first one to, to admit this, my prayer for myself is, God, I, I don't want to put my hope in the things that continually disappoint. And when we come to the Christmas season, listen, it is the season to put your hope in everything under the tree that you want. It's your season to put your hope in maybe your family. It's your season to put your hope in your relationships. It's the season to put your hope. And I'm telling you, it, none of that will withstand what you need. And so when it comes time to climb the cliff, when it comes time to walk the walk of faith, when it comes time to do this, um, the amount of hope that you have does not matter in comparison to what you put your hope in. What you put your hope in is actually the real thing. That's what matters the most. There's a word, actually, that was used in um, Jewish culture. There's over 40 words for the word hope um, in ancient Near Eastern culture, and one of the words that was used actually is defined by attention on a rope is the word that's used. 
I think it's uh, tikva is the word, and it's the tension on the rope, okay? The tension on the rope. And what people would use that for is, in one side, they're holding, this is me, this is me, on one side. In the other side, this is my past, this is my present, this is me. On the other side is God, is God, and I live in the tension on the rope. For the Israelites, when it came time to, like, put their hope in the Messiah, you know how bleak it is when you're at war and when your army's getting smaller and smaller and your family is at stake? You know how bleak things get dark real fast, okay? We talked about last week. It's not just like the fight that we fight against the battle that we have. It's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. So you know what I mean. When I say it gets dark, it gets dark. When you're waiting on Jesus— the fact that you're waiting means that you're hoping on something. If you weren't hoping, you would have given up by now. You would stop waiting, okay? But you're hoping for something. Wait entails hope. The two go together. Tikba, the two go together. And uh, they're waiting. They're waiting. And here's another prophecy. Last week we talked about Isaiah 7. This is a prophecy in Isaiah 9. And I want to encourage you. The object you put your hope in will let you down unless, unless it is capable of holding you up. And I, I would argue there's only one person who is, and that's Jesus. So let's read um, Isaiah chapter 9. Let's jump right in. Isaiah 9, we're going to go 1 through 7. Okay, this is actually the message version. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, if you pause, I know we're not going to do this through all verses, okay? But if you pause and you think about a time you walked in darkness and you saw a great light, hooray! Like, you're not going to stub your toe, you're not going to step on a Lego, you're not going to do whatever it is that you do, you're, like you saw a great light, okay? Now, you are in darkness. I don't have to explain to you the type of darkness that you're in. You're, you know this. This could be self-inflicted or this could be um, totally outside of your um, circumstance. You're, there is darkness in the world. The good news about Christmas is that there's a great light, but for that to matter, there's darkness. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, they're so glad in your presence. Festival joy, the joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings. The abuse of oppressors and cruelty of tyrants, all their whips and cudgels and curses is gone, done away with a deliverance as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood, will be piled in a heap and burned, a fire that will burn for days. So we're talking like victory, okay? If you, you want to interpret that one word, victory. Let's keep going. For a child has been born for us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. He will take over the running of the world. His name will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. Let's keep going. His ruling authority will grow, and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. 
He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. The zeal of God of the angel armies will do all of this. Isn't that amazing? This is like, this is really good news in all areas of our life. Here's, here's how one uh, commentary put it. Let's look at the object of our hope, okay? I'm going to read this so we can get, like, laser focus on Jesus. Look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. As the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we're still his enemies. Let's welcome his domain. Let's do this. This is the object of our hope in Advent. So I, as I pray for tonight, um, I told you last week, I want to pray over services and what is said and what we do here together. And as I pray over this, this is, this is what I feel like deep down. Um, every, at every turn, there's someone who would say, I need an amazing counselor. There's another person who would say, I need an everlasting father. There's another one who's going to say, I need a mighty, strong God. And I think all of us would say, I need the peace are the prince of wholeness. I need him to come and make me whole, make my family whole, make my friendships. I need him to do this. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the object of our hope really intensely for the next few minutes. And then when we respond, we're going to trust him. Okay? So we're going to look really hard at him, laser focused on him. And you're going to find something probably in him that you haven't seen before. And then we're going to trust him. And he's not like yarn, by the way. He's better than any rope. Like, he's trustworthy to wait for and to let you, let him lead you. Let him lead you. So let's look at it. Our hope is an amazing counselor. Okay, this is really good news. Our hope is an amazing counselor. This is out of those uh, first three verses about light coming into darkness. I don't know if you've ever seen a counselor, if you've ever gone to counseling, but I'm telling you, when you sit with a counselor, they bring things out of the dark into the light so that it loses its power. The shame and the guilt, all this loses its power. The power is disintegrated. He is an amazing counselor. Another translation, most of your translations will say he is a wonderful counselor. He is actually the strategist behind your life. So when, when you identify in your life, this is what's broken during Advent season. When I wait for Jesus, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really nervous he's not going to show up in my marriage, if that's what you think. Or you say, I'm really nervous he's not going to show up in my family. Or I'm really nervous he's not going to show up financially. I'm really nervous that God's not going to show up. I, it makes you nervous playing this game that we do of every single December. We go, wait on the Lord, and then on the 25th, he appears. And you go, it seems like magic. And, it, and, and here's what I tell you. Uh, Jesus doesn't appear on the 25th. He is always a present, amazing counselor. Now, for you and I, the distractions that we have in the world 
pull us away from him. They pull us away from his voice. And we get little, like, little spurts of his voice we start to hear here and there, and, and we, we get drawn in in maybe a Sunday service when we set time aside to hear God's voice, the amazing counselor, but then we get distorted all the time. It would be equivalent to trying to live the Advent season if you're going to a real counselor and you're on the phone the whole time or you're distracted by whatever you're distracted with, and you go, I don't know why the counseling's not working, and I would tell you Advent is a really good time to say, I set aside distractions because he's here. I don't have to wait till December 25th. That's weird. He's here. He is an amazing counselor. You know, even for me, I'll tell you this. I see a counselor. It's not because you're crazy, okay? You're like, do we put that burden on you? No, it's because I'm crazy, okay? I see a counselor, and um, when I go see my counselor, I sit in the lobby and I wait. Let me just walk you through this. I sit in the lobby and I wait. My counselor comes down, says, hi, Preston. Gives me a big hug. I said, hi. He goes, let's go talk. I said, okay. And then there's a couch. I think I'm the only person, I was, I've actually been told I'm the only person who lays on the couch, because I've seen it done on the movies. You lay on the couch, and you sit there like this, you know. Um, I, my counselor is really good at listening and just knows how to help me navigate my feelings, the darkness, the joys, the grief. That's my counselor. And, and by the way, when I'm in counseling, you can't get a hold of me. There's nothing you can do to get a hold of me because I know this is a time where I, I'm going to gain wisdom and then I, I want to walk in health. I want to do that. And I, I wonder, actually, when we're waiting on Jesus, part of the reason that we, quote-unquote, say he doesn't show up is because we actually don't even give him the intentional time of what it means to listen and wait and perceive and absorb all that he would have to say. He is wisdom calling out in the streets, as the Proverbs say. Um, I'll tell you this, you, we could go to the Sermon on the Mount, we can go to a whole bunch of things where God has been our counselor. But I want to read you a letter. There's someone in the church who has written a letter, and, and uh, they said, hey, um, Christmas is not always a happy time for people. Advent is a hard time for people when it comes to family or relationships or just what's happened in their own life. So I'm going to read some of this letter to acknowledge to you, hey, there's a counselor who listens to you, and... Uh, and you'll have time to respond afterwards. We'll have time to pray. But if this is you, if you go, I, I actually need that. I need God to commune with me in such an intimate way. And I need light to shine. Um, it doesn't hurt. It brings warmth. I need light to shine. I need light to break the darkness in this Advent series. So then, then, then this is for you. This is what um, this person wrote. Lord, we seek your comfort as the holiday season begins. For many of us, the holidays can be a difficult season. Lord, you are the one who is with us, sees us, and knows us and our families. You weep with us and for our brokenness. You weep for the unreconciled relationships, for the loneliness we experience when with family, for those who don't have family, for those don't, who don't have safe family, for those who long for a family where they can feel seen, known, and loved for who they are, for those who have lost family members, for our family members who don't know you and for whom we long for them to know and accept your deep, unending love.
help us as a church to reflect your love to those who grieve this season and help us to know how to support them. Lord, we give you our families and friends and ask you to continue to bring restoration in our relationships with them. For those who suffer this holiday, may you feel your comfort and love even if they do not know where it comes from. May they feel you. Help us to see those in our communities who grieve and help us to know how to support them in this season. Thank you for all you've done and will do. To you be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is an amazing counselor we have who says you don't have to sing Akuna Matata on Christmas. It's actually about waiting and brokenness, the arrival of the sun. Our hope is in an amazing counselor. Our hope is in a strong God. Our hope is in a strong God. You remember I told you, I said, hey, I'm going to summarize. Uh, can we go to the next slide? Thanks. Uh, I said, I'm going to summarize verses 4 through 5. It's victory. Remember we talked about that, it, that, that God will conquer, and God will conquer those who have shed innocent blood, and God's victory. We're talking about God's victory. He's a strong God. What's amazing about this passage is it just walks you through why he has the titles that he has, what he has done, will do, and will continue to do. We went through Revelation as a church. Revelation, we literally called the series, All I Do Is Win, because all he does at every turn is win. All he does is he wins, and he wins, and he wins over his enemies in surprising ways, and then the enemies that don't follow him, he wins over them, those who have tortured and hurt those who follow him. He wins. He's a strong, mighty God. He's a big God. And, and by the way, him coming as a baby isn't just like a cute story. He comes into our world and wins 100% human and 100% God. He wins in amazing ways. Over temptations, over darkness, over demonic powers, over sickness. He wins. He's really, really strong. I don't know how else to tell you, but if you're waiting and you go, I, need, I just need a strong God. I, I just need to know that when, he, when I look at a nativity set and I see baby Jesus, I need to know he's actually strong God Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you can do that because he wins. And he will keep doing this as long as we submit to his side and how he wins is the big deal. This way that he wins is love. He wins people over through a deep love, self-sacrificial love. That's how he does it. Um, growing up, I've told, you guys, I've told you guys some crazy stories growing up. I'll tell you another one that, that is fun to remember. Now it's fun to remember. It wasn't fun this day. Growing up, my older brother, um, anytime I would be picked on, my older brother's name is Sean, and Sean would always say, like, who is it that's picking on you? Who, what's his name, you know? Um, is, is he, like, really big? What's her name? Is she, like, really big? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he's like, who, who is it that's picking on you? And, and I'd say, oh, that's this person. And I remember I would watch my brother march in with a bunch of, like, baseball players behind him. <laughs> and I, I could, I think I could have handled myself. I don't know. But he w would march in, and I just remember, like, times where people would throw punches at my brother, and they'd miss, and he'd shove them against lockers, and like, don't pick on Preston again, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you know, from the corner, eat my sandwich. Don't pick on me anymore. And, uh, and he'd do this all the time, all throughout growing up. There was one time, however, and I go, Sean, there's this dude on the bus that uh, 
he's massive, okay, and he's really mean. I was, I would think I was in sixth grade, so, uh, seventh grade, and he, I said, Sean, he's really mean, and, uh, like, not just pushes me around, pushes other people around, all stuff, and, and so being, being someone in middle school that was picked on a lot, this is why I'm really against bullying <coughs> in school or in general, but um, there's this guy, Josh was his name. And Sean goes, all right, well, where do you want me to meet him? And I'm like, at the bus stop. He always gets on the bus, man. So I remember I'm walking with Sean to the bus stop, and I think it's going to be like, you know, big brother Sean. You know, we didn't have the baseball team behind us at this time. That was later. But, but still, Sean was bigger than me, and he— Oh, let me back up. I'm sorry. Let me back up. One time, he roundhouse kicked a guy in the jaw, okay? I, I needed—that was actually in my notes. I needed to tell you that for me. This guy, this guy swung at me and missed, and Sean comes up and roundhouse kicked him. He was in karate, and the guy went down and cried and all stuff, and I was like, this is awesome. So this—what I'm telling you is after that time, so my expectations were high. I'm like, you got a roundhouse kick in you? What do you got in you, you know? Like, I'm, I'm down. So we're walking to the bus stop. And uh, I said, that's Josh. And he goes, ooh, that guy is huge. <laughs> and I said, no, and I'm not kidding. He goes, I can't get this one. This is what he told me. <laughs> and I just remember going, I put all you piece of yarn. I put all my hope in you. And now I got to get on the, I gotta get, I'm referring to the, the yarn. Okay, but I'm like, I got put all my, I put all my hope in you, and I, I've seen you do this before, and, and there was actually a situation that he goes, I'm just not big enough, I'm not strong enough. I love you, I love you deeply, and I will heal your wounds and mend whatever bruises you get when you get home. But what I cannot do is I cannot face the monster on the bus, okay? And I, I remember thinking, he can't do this the rest of my life. My brother can't do this the rest of my life. As much as he'd want to, he just can't. He doesn't have the capacity to do that. And, uh, and that's not fair to ask of him. And, and I had to learn in a very physical sense, like, I got to put my hope in a stronger person than everybody else. And uh, there, are, there are things and people that you put your hope in that they did a roundhouse kick a long time ago, and you're like, that's awesome, right? And, and they, they were there for you, and they did that for you, and they did a lot for you. But then there's the thing you're up against right now, or you will be up against in the future. They can't hold up to that. They don't have that strength. They can't give you that job. They can't fix that relationship. They can't make the person say, I'm sorry. They can't make you say, I'm sorry. They can't do that. They don't have that authority. But there's like this really strong man named Jesus who came with the authority to carry governments on his shoulders. It's a different type of authority. When he taught, people actually said, he teaches with authority. Like, that's a different type of man. It's one thing, it's a worldly thing to push people around, roundhouse kick them and condemn people and shame. That's a worldly way. But this man, this man knows how to command mountains. This man knows how to command demons and heal the sick. He knows how to do this. He's a strong, strong man. He's a strong God. And, and it's up to you. If, you. if you choose to believe this when we're done and put your trust in him, he will come through. God will not let you down. What you sing every Sunday here will be true. But you've got to walk in faith with those things. He's a strong God.
He's a strong God. Here's what else it says. He's an everlasting Father. Can you put that up there? He's an everlasting Father, eternal Father. Um, he, it says, you know, He gives us His Son, you know, to us a child is born for us. He's a really good dad. This is the kind of father that He is. His reign doesn't end. And I want to tell you this, um, when you experience the Father, when you, like, encounter the love of the Father, there's, there's really nothing like that. When we talk about fathers, it, it can get strange because you could have had a really good dad, a really bad dad, a really present dad, a really absent dad. I, I don't know what your experience around a father is, but I will tell you this. There's a reason why when Jesus' disciples say, how should we pray? And he says, Abba, our Father, our Father who art in heaven, Abba, Dad. He, he's getting you to go, he, he is a greater father. And, and by the way, eternal or everlasting, that's a really good word to put before dad because it's saying, and his goodness doesn't stop. He's just a good dad. He's a good dad to his children. It doesn't mean that you get everything you want. So if you're, if you're going into this message going, okay, this is how I twist God's arm and all stuff. Listen, you, I don't give my kids everything they want. I've never, and especially around Christmas time, especially when you're like, that's when you give them everything they want. No, that ruins them, okay? That's not, what we do is we try to surprise them with a mix of things, what they want and what they, what are the four things Lisa told me yesterday? What you want, what you need, what you'll wear, and what you'll read. That's what, four things. She said, let's try to mix it up. Let's try to do this sort of gifting. And really, it's like hitting on all different areas of raising a child. And I'm going to tell you this. A good dad withholds things that are going to be harmful to you, and he talks to you about those things. And he puts things in place that are going to be really good. And his goodness doesn't end. He won't abandon you. This is a good dad not going to distance himself from you. This is a good dad who will look forward to every conversation he has with you. He's an everlasting dad, an everlasting father. When I was at this retreat a few weeks ago, or uh, last week, this rebel retreat, it was all about encountering the father. And I was I remember we're doing this exercise where I was um, encountering the Father. I don't know what else to say. Sorry, it's hard to get like real, real profound up here. Other than that is the most profound I could say. And and um, and I I felt and and this was said in in one of the guided meditation times. And I felt the Lord say this to me. He said, "Preston, uh, you are my really good idea." You are my really good idea. Ooh, and I'm telling you, that has knocked me off my feet ever since. So then Lisa praying for me the other day, she said, hey, you're, you're God's really good idea. And I gotta go, stop. I'm like, that's too much. And, and I would share that with you. You are your heavenly father's really good idea. Really good idea. And this prophecy long, long time ago was for all people that would choose him. And you're here hearing this today. You are his really good idea. He's a good, everlasting father. 
And our hope is in the Prince of Wholeness. Our hope is in the Prince of Wholeness. It's actually amazing how you, um, your bodies, our, our bodies, this is one thing that um, I'm learning is really interesting. Your, if you process things in your life, your spirit and your emotional well-being and your physical well-being, all these things are intertwined. You go, I've, I've known that. Okay, just act like you didn't. Let's talk for a little bit, okay? So all these things are, you're a holistic being. So when, and your translation that you may have, if you don't have the message, it's going to say Prince of Peace. But the word for peace, shalom, is like wholeness. It's wholeness. It's a completeness. Not just by the way that you feel like, oh, I'm a whole being meaning my body's fit, my spirit's good, my, I have, like, great emotional capacity. No, no, no. Wholeness between you and now the world and you and relationships. Wholeness. Wholeness. Um, fixing you is not the end game. Okay? Bringing all things into reconciliation with God is the end game. Wholeness. Wholeness. And so don't be surprised if as you become whole, God uses you to make other people whole. And don't be surprised if, as you're broken, God uses you as a wounded healer to help other people. He's the prince of wholeness. He's the one who does this. He has the royal authority to do this. He could call things into submission and call things into alignment, but you have to participate. You have to participate. What's amazing about this is all the Psalms tell us, like, the world participates in this, right? If you don't praise, the rocks cry out. The world's participating in God's wholeness. We are the one creation that can go, mm, but, but not me. We're the one, and peace doesn't happen without wholeness. It doesn't. So if you go, but he's the prince of peace, and that makes me more comfortable, it doesn't happen. The word there is like a complete wholeness that he does. It doesn't happen without wholeness, and I want to tell you, praying for God's peace to come so many times we have to grab a hold of his hands as he walks us through what it is, the valley of the shadow of death, and, and he leads us into wholeness, and he leads us into peace. And it's like um, there's, we got this gift in the mail. It, we don't know what kid it's for. Um, it's a box of Legos. So it says ages four to seven, and Brennan's close enough, and Piper's in there, so we're like, we don't actually know who this is for, so I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll figure it out. But we got this box of Legos, and this is what happens. Every time you get a box of Legos with a child, and you go, all right, let's put the Legos together, and you open the box. What you see on the box, the whole complete set, right? This is the way they get you to pay the money that you don't want to pay to buy Legos, okay? The, and you see the whole set, and they're like, that's awesome. When you pull the bag out and you open it, it's just nothing. It's just these pieces of, you go, this is going to take forever. It's going to take a really long time. And then you get the instruction manual, and there's like four sections. There's literally chapters to how to build Legos. There are chapters. What chapter are you in? Chapter one. Okay, well, let me know when you're in chapter three, when then that's going to be a little harder. And because when you pour it out, it's just all there. It's just all these little pieces. And then you, you actually have to do the work of making it whole. You have to do that. You have to work on it. You've got to follow the instructions. And you got to, and I'm telling you, I'm finding more and more the cross, yes, what Colossians says is true, has reconciled all things unto God. But for you and I, we must choose. Will we participate? Will we be like the 
Assyrian army that just go against God's people? Or will we participate in what it means to wait on the wholeness of God to be revealed finally at the end, which he will, but in the process, we are putting Legos together. We are reading his word, and we are listening to him, and we are thanking him and being, and being graced by his presence, and we are committed to community, and we're commit we are doing these things, and we're seeing I know what the picture looks like. I know what I'm asking for. But I have, I'm a like, co-laborer with Jesus, is what the scriptures say. What's interesting is even the prophecies needed a prophet to say what the prophecy was. Right? A co-laborer, a voice, a megaphone. It's not just like the heavens opened up and it came down. There had to be someone who announced the prince of wholeness. And, and you and I announce and we participate. We do these sorts of things. He is all these things. Amazing counseling, strong God, eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. This passage kind of takes God's people like this and announces to them, hey, I'm coming in a way that you're guaranteed to need. So if you went into this going, I, I do need an amazing counselor. I need someone who's going to like work with my grief and who's going to mourn with me, and then who's going to walk with me, and who's going to, you go, I need that. And then you hear, like, a strong God. I need a strong God, too. I need that, too. I don't know about you. This is how I process it. I need a strong God. I need someone who's going to beat up the monster on the bus. I need that, too. And then whenever we get to eternal Father, I go, I need that, too. I need, I need my eternal good Father to, his goodness to last forever, and for him to discipline when he needs to discipline, but to do it in love. I need that, too. And then we get to uh, this part where we talk about the Prince of Wholeness, and I go, oh, that's why I need all this, because I'm just broken. I just need that too. And I would say this to you. You can have all of Jesus, okay? You don't have to pick a piece of Jesus. You can have all of Jesus. He came so that you could have him. <laughs> he came so that you could have him. Philip Yancey said, Jesus came into the world so you can do with him what you want. You can reject him, and you can, or you can accept him. You can do what you want with him. But I would really encourage you to accept him, okay? I would really encourage you to do that. Because I promise you, the thing that you're holding on to, the hope that you have in whatever it is, I'm not kidding when I say, if it's outside of God, it will fail you. And you will probably blame God in the process but we hyper-focused on Jesus. Lisa, will you come up with the worship team? We're going to have a time to respond. We're going to use our imaginations a little bit. We said we're going to do that during the Advent season. We're going to use our imaginations. It's a jolly time for a lot of people to use their imaginations. and um, So we're going to do that. I want you to imagine for a second you are in a really, really cold snowstorm on a mountainside, okay? And you're holding on to a rope, and you hear someone saying, keep going, keep going. You hear this voice, keep going. And you somehow, you go, I trust this voice. I don't know what that voice would sound like to you. Maybe mom or dad or friend or like Denzel Washington. I don't know, whatever you want to say. Um, Arnold keep going, you know, like it's that, you're like, it's keep going, this, there's this voice, keep going, okay, just imagine, walk with me, 
you're holding on and you're cold and it's really difficult and the blizzard's going and you're holding on what you're actually not trusting is the rope you're trusting the voice that's calling you so you're holding on and you're living in tikvah right there you're living in this hope in this tense rope season and and you go and he goes keep going and he says like you'll make it you'll make it you'll make it okay i'll make it i'll make it i'll make it i'm not gonna stop it's this voice you trust that's calling out to you and then then they say your name matthew eric joseph casey oliver they say your name they go i want you here i want you here and you're like oh, i gotta keep going i gotta keep going i gotta keep going and then now now here here's where everything changes and you're holding on, and then you see someone coming toward you, and it's that voice, it's like coming toward you, holding on, and they go, come on, let's go. You won't make it on your own. You're not gonna make it on your own. You, will, you won't make this storm on your own. I had to come to you, but let's keep going. Let's do it. The amount of hope you have in that moment when the voice you trusted actually came to you and led you and walked with you it does something to you. It transforms you. And on the journey, now you go, hey, can I talk to you about how hard this is? Can I talk about how, like, difficult? Man, life is hard. This is hard. And they go, I know. And before you know it, they're counseling you. They're walking you through it. And there's a part on the journey where you're holding the rope, and then you're, like, slip. And you go, you start crying, and you're, like, in the snow, and you're freezing cold. And you're like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't do this. And they go, all right. And they pick you up, and you realize, man, they're really strong. This is a really strong person, right? And then you start hearing them call you son and daughter. It's a really big deal. And then you start to see they don't judge you for your shame. They don't condemn you. They're bringing wholeness to you. What I'm telling you is this is Advent. This unto us a child is born. This is what that means. Let's stand together. If I can have the ushers get ready, we're going to take up an offering as a way of worship. You know, um, when we do this, at this point in the service, we do this because we realize it's not about the church's income. It's actually about our personal outcome. We, we want in moments like these to go, man, maybe my rope has been money. Maybe that's been my rope. I want to let that go. I want to let that go. That's why we do it. So they're, they're going to come up here and take offering, but before they do, I want to walk you through our next steps. You can take communion in the back. You can give in the boxes in the back. You can do that as well. But I'm going to encourage you to seek prayer. And here's a few points of prayer. Number one is this. I don't know about you, but when I read these stories and I talk about this, I get all fired up. And then on the drive home, it's like I'm getting depleted. <laughs> I'm going like, oh, so, someone say that to me again. Say that to me again. I need the voice in the snow. I need that. And if that's you, if you know when you leave here, it's just harder for you to believe this. It's just hard for you to trust Jesus. I would encourage you to seek prayer. If for you, you go, I, I need, I need one, three, two, four. I need all of these things. The reality is we do. We need Jesus. And so I'm, I'm putting a call out there to you as the church. If you sit here and you go, 
I just, I need to know he came to me in the storm. I need to know that. Will you pray with me? And that's you. If you're here and you've never followed Jesus, you've never known the communion of Jesus, we want to pray with you too. So what are we, we going to do? Is we're going to take offering, and then we're going to go into prayer, and Sam will um, remind you as well. But after the offering's taken, let's go pray on the side. So Father, eternal Father, amazing counselor, strong God, Prince of wholeness, so we, we, we need you. We actually, uh, we can't do this without you. And we're so thankful your voice has called out to us, but we, may we know you've come to us. And so I just pray we would be humble enough to respond to you. We respond to you. We respond to you. So Lord, bless what is given tonight whether it be in the buckets or online or whatever, but Lord, bless what is given. Use it for your purposes and give abundantly tonight, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take up the offering and then we're gonna seek prayer.